Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, 
your business is always at your fingertips. In this episode of The Unmistakable Creative, John Bucati shares his incredible journey from college football player to becoming a rock and roll painter. John, welcome to The Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Well, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm very excited. I'm, I'm really happy and grateful to be here. Yeah. So, you know, I came across you by way of one of our mutual friends and a listener of our show. And when he told me a bit about what you do and, and, and kind of the career that you've made out of your art, I thought, yeah, this is a fascinating story and I definitely want to tell it. So on that note, can you tell us uh, a bit about yourself, your journey, your background and how that has brought you to everything that you're up to in the world today? Oh, man. So, you know, I grew up in Kansas City, um, 1973, born to an NFL football player, actually AFL, Denver Bronco, my dad. So I was kind of born middle class, normal family. Um, But, uh, you know, I was always the square peg in a round hole kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Definitely hyperactive, very into nature very just um just a wild child you know and i didn't know any better and uh by third grade i was kicked out of private school and could not sit still um you know i did doodle a lot somewhere around high school after getting kicked out of another school i started getting really into football um of course, growing up loving football, it was my passion. I learned a lot about football through watching late-night NFL films, which is, if you've ever watched the show, it's very creative. Um, and it shows these characters of all these, like, really crazy NFL players. So I was really, that's what I wanted to be. Those uh, two archetypes kind of came out when I was in high school. You know, the the reclusive, like, quiet artist and then the you know, elusive, like freaking WWF football player. And I grew five inches in one year pretty much and just came out of my shell um, when I was in high school. And, you know, that led me to an art and football scholarship in college. So I went down the road um, to follow my dad's footsteps and never really took art serious. Um, This was just a hobby. So in college... When I got to Kansas University, they told me art would, you know, not coexist with football. So, of course, since I was there to major in football, I just said, okay, I'll just put that off till later. Um, had a, you know, a decent football career, nothing spectacular, for, but, um, you know, I lettered and had a great time. And that was what my legacy was and probably thought it always would be. Then... Um, you know, in I think like 97, I went to Chicago to pursue a business career. I just wanted to party eight nights a week and a, a good suit job would be, you know, something that f- fulfilled that. My dad was a salesman, so I just said, I'm going to be a salesman. Um, uh, somewhere along the line, about two years later, I lost that uh, very good job that I had making like over $100,000 and I was suicidal. I was devastated. I had a lot of feelings that were coming back, you know, that I had buried. And somewhere along the line, I, uh, you know, thought, well, maybe I would get back into my art because I wanted to pursue a life of happiness. And somebody told me, if you do what you love, that's the answer to happiness. So moved back to Kansas City at that point. I'm my tail between my legs and just moved into my parents' basement and said, from the ground up, I'm going to be an artist, and that's what I'm going to do, and I have to be miserable, and I have to, you know, be this total, you know, like, hater and, you know, everything I thought an artist was. And uh, from the ground up, I started again, and uh, I started the art again. I started painting kids' rooms, and somewhere around 90 nine nine uh 2000 um right after 9 11 i started on november 29th 2001 i started my own little show i was bartending at a brew pub and i decided to 
um, tell the manager that I was going to paint live and he didn't have a clue what I was talking about. So I could see it in my head and I just said, oh, I'm going to set up next to the musician, just free flow and just paint. It's going to be great. So he gave me the chance. I'll never forget what that meant. Um, cause people came to see me and they had no idea what I was going to do. And I was just kind of painting with the rhythm of the music and didn't really know what I was going to paint. So every week I did that, that broke me out. Because what happened, that ha what happened then was I exposed myself, let myself be seen, and people started, you know, taking notice. I put the paintings in the window, and every week I had a new painting no matter what because I was so ADHD that I couldn't finish anything in the boring-ass studio that I was just like, I got to do something different. So that was two years, and it was very successful, and what I wanted to do was go to Colorado because eight hours away was Red Rocks, the Fillmore, all these great music venues. And Colorado was on the up and up with music and the jam band scene. I was a huge widespread panic fan. And I was all about this like improv hippie, had a, had a, you know, ponytail, lost all the weight from football. I had this new person and that was like all exciting, you know, because I, Three years ago, I had kind of a rock bottom. And then, so then, you know, I'm on the cover of the Denver Post. I'm painting with the bands. The bands are giving me good feedback. I'm getting in to see all these free shows. Um, I am loving life. I uh, love Colorado. I still do. And at that point, I ended up coming back to, um, you know, uh, back down to earth. Because when I was 33, I lost my best friend to suicide I had addictions to everything you could think of. My dad just passed away from cancer. Um, and that year, which I thought was going to be the best, ended up being the worst, coincidentally enough. Well, there is no coincidences. Um, looking back at it, even though it was one of the, you know, I lost my car, I lost my gallery, I lost my girlfriend, everything you could imagine. I almost took my own life. I, it, I look back at it, that was the pinnacle for me because at this moment, because of that year in 2007, I was, I'm sober, I have a family, I have two kids, I have a beautiful wife, I live in New Orleans, I have you know my own studio, we have a couple employees here, it's a great, beautiful studio gallery. Everything I have in my life now is because of my sobriety and because of that, you know, magical, mystical, crazy rock bottom that I have. So I wouldn't trade a thing. Um, and, you know, I hope that brings you up to speed and I hope that uh, answers your question. Yeah, it does. Uh, and as you know, somebody who's listened to multiple interviews, you can imagine it's opened up a, a can of worms and a ton of other questions. <laughs> right. Um, you know, one of the things that's interesting to me is that you said that you had these two archetypes, uh, one of an artist and one of a football player. And I'm interested in how people start to uncover what might be the archetypes in their lives that could lead to the things that they're called to do. Is that the question? Mm -hmm. Okay. So I sometimes look back at it and wonder that myself. So um, for me, it's putting together the dots in, um, in hindsight, and then that makes my, my memory of it profound, exciting, beside myself, you know, or, or outside of myself, rather. Um, for instance, I got in a high school wreck, okay? I was 16. I was, you know, listening to Led Zeppelin, driving down the, the road in my neighborhood. I decided to go right through a yield sign because I hadn't seen anybody down that road in a long time. So I just said, yield, I don't really have to stop. You know, listening to Led Zeppelin, boom, go right through it. I, I hit a, you know, a limousine and I go through the windshield and I get 180 stitches. I almost die. The reason I was on that car trip is because I ran out of ink to go get a piece of art, to finish a piece of artwork that was due. So I'm thinking to myself, you know, 
like all I could think of is, am I going to play football again? I almost died, and all I could think about was, am I going to play football again? So I go to this festival probably, oh my gosh, two, 12 years later, and I had always had this horrible like feeling about that wreck that I was unlucky, that it, I didn't deserve it, and you know, I had this girlfriend at the time who said, oh, you should go back to that spot and give it gratitude and thank God you're here. And I said, oh, wow. Okay. Well, I always thought it was bad luck, right? So I go back to the spot and I look and I say, okay, God, I'm, I'm grateful. At that point, I was pretty much an atheist um, and hated anybody who said, thank God or anything, you know? So I was just like, okay, thank God, I'm grateful. And I look up right next to me, four feet from the wreck, and there's a statue of an angel with wings and a palette and a paintbrush. And I'm like, holy crap. Literally, that had been there for, you know, that had been there before I had ever been there, you know. And what I learned from that is I feel like the answers are already there when you open up yourself to those, you know, to those mystical things. Because I could have said that was a coincidence, but I didn't. And then that led me to, you know, maybe 10 more stories that to me are very mystical. Because what are the chances of that, you know? I mean, that's right four feet where I almost bled to death. And, you know, so I don't, like, disclude the thought of, like, angels or guardian angels, you know? I don't know if that answers the question. Yeah, it does actually, uh, which raises another question. Why is it that you think so many of us are not open to those kinds of things? Like we're not open to the mystery. Um, why don't we see it? I get, well, there, there's, uh, uh, well, I think that people, if everybody believed it, then that might be a utopian society. Um, that might, you know, and I think that everybody has a purpose and maybe some people's purpose, you know, aren't, you know, isn't to be like this, you know, extraordinary, like Deepak person, you know, because if we were all Deepaks, that'd be a utopian society. But, you know, um, I don't have an answer for that. Um, I know that when I work with people, a lot of times they open up and then they create these unbelievable pieces of artwork or pieces of music or whatever that, you know, whatever they open themselves up to. I think it's the persistence and the practice that will make you, um, you know, your make you what you are as a creative or musician or movie maker or whatever. Well, let's uh, let's talk about football a little bit. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's interesting when I, when I think of athletes, I can't help but think of people who want their kids to follow in their footsteps. And I am curious if there were dreams ever of making it to the NFL, especially having, you know, had a father who was in the NFL and, uh, you know, what that relationship was like and how football actually has influenced and shaped everything else in your life. So it's funny, my dad, was an AFL Denver Broncos. So it just depends how you look at it. Because when he was doing it, he was working on the railroad after the offseason. He was like one of the first members of the AFL. Football was not that big of a deal then like it is now. Um, and he was very humble about that. You know, a lot of people didn't even know till they found out um, later. But what what football has taught me is – and I believe me, I threw all this out the window when I first started getting high and becoming an artist. I didn't want to do any of the disciplines that I learned in football at all. So um, what it's taught me today is I'm kind of wired for intensity. So when I set up to paint at Bruce Springsteen or whatnot, I am like getting ready for a football game. The same intensity. I know it sounds really cheesy and not creative, but I try. I have an hour and a half, or for Bruce, it's like two hours to paint a painting that could take possibly five hours. I've prepped, I've practiced, I've visualized, you know, I've meditated, all the things I did before a game, and I, 
and I'm in movement like I was in football. Now I'm not not now I'm not like running full speed and getting in the equivalent of a car wreck, but I'm 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 moving and dancing and painting as fast and furious and hyper focused as you could possibly imagine. So I think I use it um, all the time. I think I have a lot of thick skin due to football because we were totally verbally abused by coaches and more so players. My running partners were freaking, you know, called me name every name in the book. Um, so it's so when somebody comes up to me and decides to heckle me in front of thousands of people, I can either, you know, choose to heckle them back or choose to let it bounce off me. And I don't think that the, the you know, sensitive ponytail artist guy always has that, that, that strength, if, that, if you may call it a strength. So I use it a lot. I think what's helped me in the last, like, five years is not to deter anything away from my past, my past is my wisdom, so um, being vulnerable to all the mistakes that I made and all the things that happened in my life are all part of my, you know, uh, knowledge. So I, I love, I love um, every time I choose to, you know, learn from something that I buried um, in my past and open it back up, I end up getting the gifts of, you know, uh, let's call it education. Do you think that that intensity that you have brought from football to your art is something that people can cultivate in their own work? Uh, and the strength that you've gained from it, from taking those hits, is that something that can be developed? And if so, how? Uh, yeah, but I think that I was always taught that you had to be very relaxed and it had to be a very quiet place in the studio, and that in, there's no place for intensity in the in the studio. Because I, I have education, and I have a lot of self-taught, you know, um, journeys in my art. Um, so yes, if you're that type of person, um, I've met several musicians that were athletes, and you would never know it. And I think it's really interesting that they, when we get to talk about the disciplines, I mean, there's a hand-eye coordination that athletes have that are, you know, totally um, transferred into um, guitar playing, drum playing, art, for whatever, you know, for whatever your craft is. And does that answer the question? Or? Yeah, yeah, it definitely does. Uh, let's do this. Let's talk about uh, the year you lost your job. Um, and the fact that it sent you into this sort of tailspin, because it seems like there are two significant periods of loss in your life. And, you know, I want to talk about, uh, navigating that first one and uh, how you pulled out of it, um, and how you got the gifts from it. And then, then I, then I really want to dig into the second one. Okay. So in 2099 or whatever the year was, I, Got the job after five intense interviews, got the dream, making a ton of money on the south side of Chicago. You know, I ended up taking a state insurance test and he told me if I fail it three times, I'm gone. Well, by the time I took it the third time, I was scared to death and I lost the job due to text anxiety, in my opinion. Not only did the insurance company call it the Bucati rule. Um, I was devastated and I was, I was suicidal and selfish as it may be, I had dealt with some concussions. I had dealt, you know, dealt with some head injury that I was very stimulated due to adrenaline, caffeine, you know, drugs. And so to what I did turn to was not only art. Um, I turned to music. I remember buying a CD and a CD player and completely, I turned to, to really, um, and I'm just going to be honest with you, I turned to drugs, alcohol, music, and checking the F out. So checking out became a place where I got to go into my creative space. And in that creative space, I remember seeing a painting for $1,500. And I was like, I can do that. Now, I can do, I can sell something that I love, you know, 
I was selling long distance for two years. Then I was about to sell an insurance. So, you know, you have to kind of kid yourself to say that that's your life passion and life, you know, mission is to sell long distance. So that being said, um, the being humble was, you know, I've always said stuff before I've done it. Hey, I'm going to run a half mile. And then, I mean, a half marathon, you know, and I have no idea. I didn't even start jogging and I sign up for it and then I go do it. People say, ah, oh, you can't do that. You, you know, and I say, okay, well, I'm going to go to India and I'm going to do a hundred paintings ago. By the way, I left that out, the most significant accomplishment I've ever done out of the story in the beginning. But when I went to India and did a hundred paintings ago, I didn't, I didn't say it a hundred paintings ago. I said a hundred, I said it before I even did one. And then I figured out how to do it, um, which is either, you know, stupid or just <laughs> or just ambitious. I don't know. But, um, you know, like when I lost that job, I knew I was never doing that again. When I quit football, I knew I was never, ever going to do it again, you know, because I just it was like I was holding on to something so hard. Um, so I think that, uh, the gifts I got from it came much later, you know? Yeah. Seems to always be that way, huh? Yeah, it does. Well, let's, let's talk about how you started to stumble up on this sort of bizarre combination of painting to live music. Cause we've only had one other live, uh, event artist here, a guy named Eric Wall. Yeah. Uh, that you might be familiar with, uh, one of the things that interests me is how you start to connect dots and see patterns. I mean, what in the world would inspire the idea of, hey, you know what? I happen to be in this bar and I see a musician and you know what? I think I'm going to paint to the sound of music. Okay. So when I was a kid, now I can connect the dots very clearly. When I was a kid, I used to look at Playboys. I used to see Leroy Neiman and I used to say... Holy moly, I want that guy's job. He gets to go everywhere and he gets to, um, you know, be at the event and he gets to capture that event. Holy moly, you know, that's great. And I loved his colors too, you know, and I loved his animal prints. And, you know, um, so that was probably the first looking back on it. I had also done a, um, I also saw Denny Dent, who basically started what Eric Wall and all those guys do in the speed painting. He started that in the 80s when John Lennon died. He did a John Lennon, and then he became very, very famous, very fast. He passed away. Uh, matter of fact, that cover of the Denver Post was, um, when I moved to Denver, it said, is this the ghost of Denny Dent? Because I was doing something different, um, but based on that live painting. So one of my friends in the 90s pulled me out of bed to go see him at the Plaza Art Fair, and I'll never forget how intense and exciting I felt when he did like an Einstein upside down and like flipped it up, flipped it over, and I went, oh, that's what I want to do. That is awesome, because I was always kind of an entertainer in the sense of a group of five people. I would tell a joke and you know, had a lot of physical comedy. My dad was the king joke teller. He would have like 20 people around him at a wedding reception and he would be telling a, a joke about, you know, a, a bull, a British bulldog, a German shepherd and an Irish setter go into this, uh, go into this pound. And he would say them with like an Irish accent and a German accent and a British accent. It was just awesome. So I knew that I had this like storytelling ability. But when I saw, and painting was one of my only skills after football, um, I flunked out of everything. I, I didn't do anything very well. I worked at Red Lobster. I, I, I crashed and burned at so many places. Um, but back to your question, um, another guy I saw, Scramble Campbell, um, I was already doing my art, but when I saw him at a, at a widespread panic show, that was, that was also another reinforcement that this is what I wanted to do. And he probably in those early days had the biggest influence um, because when, for me, everything's visual because I could see that he did it and then I, I could see myself doing it, even though it was a different twist on it. 
it was you know it wasn't what he was doing at the time um it um it was it was probably goes without saying that I wouldn't be doing what I what I'm doing now without him so I didn't create it out of thin air nor do I feel like I've ever created anything out of thin air A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and t shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this, you're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Do you think that recognizing those kinds of moments is only something you can realize in retrospect? Um, you know, I think that you can find profound moments and hold on to them, like the movie Grand Canyon, when Steve Martin got in a wreck, and he was a movie maker, and he said, I'm changing my life, and I'm not going to do violent films anymore, and like two weeks later, she talked to him about it, and he was like, oh, who am I kidding? I'm a Hollywood producer. So I think it's the fact that they don't hold on to it at the time in a lot of cases, and I see that a lot in sobriety. Um, when I work with others and they don't remember how freaking shitty it was, you know, a year ago when their, when their wife walked out on them or whatnot. So I definitely do think that. Um, but I think in hindsight, it all just makes sense because you can put it into this great story. And it sounds like, you know, my whole life's been, you know, all these little mystical butterflies and unicorns and it's not it's it's here and there or it's you know a stoplight you hear a song and about an eagle and then you see an eagle or whatever those kind of synchronicities you have to be willingness you have to have the willingness in my opinion to open up up to them well let's do this let's shift gears a little bit uh one of the things that really kind of struck uh, or caught my attention was this idea of capturing a moment and what i'm interested in is how you capture a moment 
and tell the story that is meant to be told about that moment expressed creatively regardless of whatever your art form is. Well, I'm pretty process-driven now. So whenever I find lack of creativity, um, I stick to process. So if I don't get an idea, I just say meditate, meditate, meditate. And then when I meditate, I kind of had, you know, a lot of worries that have built up. And then usually I get something. Um, sounds corny, but I'm like, I call myself an instrument of peace. I really think that there's a, another universe working through me and I'm just a conduit. And, you know, um, I'm very big into the artist way by Julia Cameron. And I think the morning pages are absolutely phenomenal. Um, and they, uh, but, um, capturing a moment is a, a really crazy process. I'm super loose and open to anything. And in India, I walked around and I just looked for things that might be painting and, and I wrote them down in a book. So for a whole day, I wrote down like 10 ideas, you know, and then, then like the next three days, I was like, Oh, we're going to paint. Oh, am I going to paint that snake charmer? Am I going to paint that? You know, um, that's kind of a different format, but capturing a moment, it usually speaks to me. But the other, the other day I was in Denver, um, I was working for this company who hired me to do an event, and there's absolutely nothing in the moment around the um, party or anything to capture. So I did an abstract, and, and when I did that abstract, it, I had to overcome a lot of fear that it, you know, people would be like, what's that? And when I explained it, it made a lot of sense. Um, since we don't have it in front of me, I won't go there. But capturing a moment is, you know, different every time. I try to, I, I don't try to like uh, look and try. I try to let it come to me. So that's process. And that means keeping a clear head, you know, walking around, um, you know, listening to other people sometimes somebody will come up and say something and then somebody will say the same thing later and then it's kind of like well that's obvious you know you got to do something with all these flags in the air at jazz fest because there's like 80 flags blowing in the wind perfect ding you know so um there's a lot of failure i haven't even touched upon um i don't think that there's an i, I have a I have this unique stupidity that I started with that I'm going to be very, uh, you know, nobody's going to be like me, you know, ego driven, like painter, um, that I'm going to do a different style every time. So when I started getting really psychedelic, really spontaneous, really into acid jazz, really into like this band Banyan and all these like, spontaneous jam bands that were doing like 20 minute sets i was i absolutely had no concept of what i was going to do that night so i just let it fly and then i would change and that was my thing well what happened was somewhere in the long line i feel like i made it my mission to do something different so i don't put a lot of boundaries on anything when i walk in to a concert or anything because i think it's just shrinking my world by doing that now do i fall back on a lot of like simple ideas um that you know you could put into regular styles sure you could see that in my work um but um definitely um it's a, it's, I, it, when I don't feel the inspiration, I just stick to the process. Like go set up your brushes, go meditate, you know, checklist. I'm a checklist fanatic. I love that book, the check checklist manifesto because it made me a way better artist because you're not a great artist. If you forget your brushes one out of four times, you know, but on the other end of that, you do a pretty good finger painting. Um, if you do so, you know, it's a lot of both. 
So I hope I hope not to make total sense here because because my life I don't feel like a lot of things make total sense. Yeah, I, you know I, I think it's really interesting that you bring up that it's incredibly process driven. As a writer, I can tell you that the only thing I really know I jokingly say about writing is that I write a thousand words every day. Uh, and it, it kind of goes to that, that morning pages thing. Even Stephen Pressfield talks about this in The War of Art. He says you're basically workmanlike. And I think that uh, it's really easy to get caught up in this idea of waiting for some magical moment or some moment of inspiration. Whereas, you know, I, I think I said it before. I said if I waited to be inspired, I'd be screwed. Yeah. So, well, let's do this. I want to talk in more depth about uh, what was supposed to be the best year of your life and ended up becoming the worst. Uh, and how you navigated that time, uh, and more importantly, how you pulled out of it. Uh, I, I want to dig into a bit more depth, uh, that whole period of your life. So January, um, I'm super arrogant, think I'm a rock star, doing a lot of drugs, a lot of alcohol, um, I built a life around it. I go to bed every night at five. Um, I'm getting paid. I have a gallery. I'm getting paid to do whatever I want. And I've got alcohol, trade, food, living the life of like what I think is the best kind of rock star mentality. There is a, you know, uh, let's see. There's this little feeling I got though when my friend Laura passed away from cancer. I started stepping out of myself and looking at, you know, what other people kind of see and what do I want for the future? She had two kids. She died of lung cancer. She didn't smoke. I started, I was still smoking and I just started reflecting like what a selfish son of a bitch I am. And that church in Kansas city became, um, home base, uh, for the year because, that church three days late or six days later, because he her dad died three days later um, of a heart attack, and that just blew everybody off their feet. And same group of friends, we all met there probably six or seven days later, and it was just like, you know, traumatic. And um, you know, I think a month later, my dad was diagnosed with cancer, and you know, even at that point, I'm like, holy moly, the the wheels are falling off. You know, this is all happening to me, and it wasn't. It was happening. Life happens, and I think what what was significant for me was when like Bobby died of alcoholism and by himself with a bottle of vodka, and when Mike Mazzucci died of cocaine, and none of these people, none of nobody mentioned it because when I drank, I was always searching for the truth. You know, the government's after you, and you know, let's let's get to the truth. But I didn't want to get to the truth of myself. So here we are in May, June, and I'm you know, really struggling with alcohol. And, you know, my friend Jason, who has a little baby, he decides to kill himself. And I am literally knocked off my feet. I can't take it. Um, my dad has cancer. Um, a couple weeks later, my car gets repossessed because nobody wants to buy, you know, a painting from a desperate, you know, uh, alcoholic. And I look like shit. Um, and I think I had this girl, my dreams kind of thing coming in and out of my life. And she left. And I just really what I did was I didn't. We lived in October. I lost Bill, Bill um, Warris, who was a friend of my dad's and a friend of the family's, again, at that same church. And we all had this small, not even a small group. We were all there just kind of reflecting and I kept coming in town and every time I came in town, I brought my black suit and then crazy enough on Halloween, because I'm an artist, I had to make this big to do. I was in an old hotel where jazz musicians stayed and it was abandoned and that's where I had my studio since I had got kicked out of my gallery. Um, I, I had rock bottom. I remember smashing a pint glass after I drank it when I found out my dad's cancer had metastasized or whatever because I, uh, I knew it was I knew that I had lost a lot of faith and hope because my mom said it spread all over his brain and I knew that you know I was fucked 
and I got down on my knees and I prayed to um, whatever God was up there. And, you know, because I was an artist, I said, I'm done. I'm done drinking. I can't do this anymore. And I finally, instead of trying to quit on my own, I just gave it to somebody else. And I, um, you know, a couple of days later, I said, let's go party. I'm done. Halloween. I dressed up as Edward Scissors hands. I put paintbrushes instead of scissors on my fingers, and I did this crazy painting, and I never had a drink again after that night. Um, a month later, I was lucky enough to speak. In, my dad wrote a lot of poetry, but of course, you're not going to feed three kids on poetry. So I read his poetry at his funeral in front of you know over a thousand people, and I felt the kind of the spirit behind me while I was up there. And, you know, I had promised I was going to quit drinking for like 30 days, but I felt so damn good that I just thought I'd give it another 30 days. And like, God, eight years later, I haven't had a drink, nor do I have the desire, nor would I ever risk all the great creative things that come from it. You know, um, when I was smoking weed, we always joked that weed was more important than, you know, brushes, you know, because it was such a creative outlet. I, and I, to this day, I don't think that I would have had the courage to get in front of so many people if I didn't like seriously um, smoke weed in that era every day. And I'm not trying to encourage people to smoke weed, but I have to, I have to, excuse me, be honest of what that felt like at the time. It gave me the courage to focus on a painting and do it and dance to music. And now I'm sure people come up to me this day and they see me kind of dancing. And um, I'm not as wild as I was back then, but I definitely dance and bob my head and move my body with the painting. And I keep the brush kind of dancing the whole time. And I'm sure people walk by at a concert and say, that guy is fucked up on drugs. Part of my language. <laughs> um, so I kind of have to laugh about that. Um, then, you know, how did I pull out of it? I have to give AA credit because I tried to do that on my own and um you know like a lot of people in the program i'm not i'm not like super quiet about it you know because i i think i've helped a lot of people so i'm not one of those people that try to protect my anonymity that much i went and did a full full-blown documentary on on in india and we talked about sobriety so i don't i mean that um having Anything outside of myself, you know, prayer, meditation, journaling, I pulled out of it very, the first three months was like ridiculous. I had like spirals of notes of like morning pages because I had that, I had the artist way in my, I knew that there was, that was a tool and it just came out. I, I had moved to Crested Butte um, to get sober and I left that out of the story as well. Um, but for a few years I was there and I did anything possible to pull out yoga. Sure. Kundalini yoga. Sure. Yeah. I heard it's great. Heal. Yeah. Sleep. Yeah. Get up in the morning. Sure. Hike. Sure. Breathing exercises. Why not? I can use anything. I had the gift of desperation and I couldn't paint anymore because I had, I was so, um, you know, the first couple months I couldn't, I couldn't paint very well because I didn't have that belief. So I had to, I had to really pull out of it painting live. Um, I went to a Grateful Dead concert at the Pepsi Center. I drank a Red Bull and danced and sweat the whole time. And I said, this is, this is it. I can do this. Um, because I just had given up at that point and quit for a couple months. So part of my pulling out of it was, you know, um, having the courage to go back into it, you know, cause I had, I always given all my inspiration to, to weed almost as it, as it being like a God, you know, and in a way it was for me, you know, now I have a, you know, now I have my own great spirit, which is nature based and, you know, it's invisible and it's formless. Um, and it's genderless and it works for me. And, you know, so before I paint, I say, all right, you know, great spirit, you got this. Use me as a, you know, conduit. And then at the end of the painting, I, I want to say, 
man, I did a great job. I sure am great. I, I sure did that painting, but in reality, I have to kind of like give it back to like, uh, a greater spirit, you know, cause I am, we all are here to serve, you know, that's it. And I'm here to serve art. So I'm very grateful that I have something that I really enjoy to serve. But I'm no different than the guy serving ice cream who's 16 years old um, and serving up ice cream in different colors. I'm the, same, I'm the same guy. I just happen to be serving art to live music. So that raises uh, a question based on something you said earlier. You said this is happening versus this is happening to me. And I am really interested in how you create the distinction between this is happening and this is happening to me when you're going through something so difficult. Okay. So I heard the priest say something who I remember I was raised Catholic. So I was totally anti-Catholic because I, they had pushed all this guilt onto me and I didn't <laughs> deserve it. So, but during the funeral, he said, Jim Morrison was right. Nobody gets out of here alive. And I said, holy crap. I looked around and everybody in that church I knew. I, I, like, I knew almost every single person. I said, we're all going to die. And I was like, oh, my God. And at that moment, I kind of remember going, okay, this isn't happening to you. This is happening to everyone. And it's going to happen. Everybody's going to die. And life is not that short life is long and you need to make the best of it and get your you know get your crap together and start building it someone also said to me that you know you control your own destiny and i always i was kind of like well i'm just flying i'm just floating around being in the now but what i was really doing is kind of walking in circles from bar to bar and you know i have the choice to go, you know i had to make a choice to go to india and book the ticket and overcome fear. Um, but the happening to me as a self-absorbed, self-pity um, way to look at something that's tragic um, in your life because you can't, in my opinion, I don't think that you ever say it's happening to you. I mean, Wayne Dyer is one of my big gurus. Um, stumbled upon him when I was dealing with my dad's cancer and I listened to an audio book and, you know, I realized that I'm responsible for everything that's happened to me um, so that I don't let it hold me down. And so if you can be responsible for everything that's happening to you, then you don't need to know the difference because you just need to react, not react, you know, you need to make a um, decision um, responsive to that happening. And that's all there is to it. There are no solutions. I mean, there are no problems, only solutions, John Lennon said. And I've used that. I've been inspired by, I mean, there's, there was one point in life where I just lived my life through music quotes, you know, and those, those came from other places. They came from the speaker in my car or when I was painting and they were again, coming from another place. And I use those as, you know, in, um, as life tools. Well, John, this has been really, really interesting and uh, inspiring and, and thought provoking. Uh, so I have one last question for you. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? Oh, you know, I think um, the beauty is in the mistakes. So how you present your mistakes makes you unmistakable. The, um, <laughs> that is a great question. I really enjoyed listening to that question um, in a couple of your podcasts because it seems like no matter what, when people see it coming, they know it's coming mm -hmm. and they still get stumped by it. Um, but that would be my answer because the mistakes are what got me through the first five years, the ability to, to suck. Like David Grohl says, we sucked. Nirvana sucked. Um, and 
We live in a world where we look at the mistakes first. I see people all the time come to my paintings. They look around with a very skeptical eye and they go, did you mean to do that? And uh, then there's those who come into my gallery and they look at a painting and they just you can see their eyes light up as they're absorbing it and they're not judging it. And, you know, that becomes, um, uh, you know, those are the kind of people that I like, you know, but I have to put up with the ratios. There are going to be people that don't like my work. There are people who are vocal about it when I'm painting live, you know, and heckle me. There's people that, you know, have bumped into me, spilled drinks on my paintings. Um, guy poured a beer on my painting at a country music concert, wiped the whole thing out. Um, and, you know, I didn't think it happened to me. I just think it happened, um, although I was pretty angry about it. But whatever, what makes us unmistakable, I think, what I wanted to answer the question is, is, um, is persistence and time. Because I think there's a lot to say about the 10,000 hours that Malcolm Gladwell talks about because I think that people see my name over and over and then that kind of then they can kind of connect the art even though it's different a lot of times and I do sculpture and I'm a creative director and I've written I mean I've illustrated a kid's book and a lot of them all don't look just alike but my signature is something that's unmistakable I think and you see that over you know a 10-year period or 15-year period that can kind of help make it unmistakable but the funny thing is that I don't even look at myself as being unmistakable um, I don't know um, I don't know if I am or not I haven't really thought about it um, the live painting helps because that narrows it down to a few people when I'm doing that um, so I had that instantaneously which goes against what I said about the 10,000 hours um, um, and you know just uh, to practice my brother-in-law played college basketball and the reason he was a good free throw shooter is because he shot a hundred free throws every day after practice with Steve Kerr and I think these young people want instantaneous you know results and you don't get that without practice and that you know with football and, you know, practicing patience and practicing, you know, all the things that I've learned in the past makes me who I am. And, um, you know, whether it's unmistakable or not, it's, is, is up to the person, the eyes, you know, the eye of the beholder. Well, John, uh, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us and uh, share your story uh, with our listeners. This has been really cool. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thanks for letting me ramble. You have a quite a concept. <laughs> and for everybody listening, we'll wrap the show with that. If you like what you heard, the greatest compliment you could give us is to share the show with a friend and let people know what you think by leaving a review on iTunes. Thanks for listening to The Unmistakable Creative. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch, the skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.